0: Well, good morning. We, uh, we're continuing in our study of the Gospel of Matthew today, as you just heard. And uh, what a privilege. It has been really refreshing to just be sitting with Jesus week after week. And as you're invited into this journey, the, the hope is that as we set our gaze together on Jesus particular and this, this Gospel of Matthew that is presenting him as Messiah, as King, as the hope of a people that has been growing and, and kind of being prepared for centuries upon centuries. We are going to come to this, this season of celebration, even as we prepare for next Sunday, with our eyes set on this King who is being revealed to us. And in many ways, this is the final passage in the book of Matthew that is preparing the way, that is serving as an introduction to King Jesus. Jesus. Starting two weeks from now, after Easter, we will plunge into the next passage, which is the start of his teaching ministry in force, and there are five different major chunks in the book of Matthew of Jesus' teaching, in many ways serving to to reconstitute the five books of Moses, uh, they're kind of presenting Jesus in the book of Matthew as the great teacher of the people of God, reconstituting the great teachings of the people of God. And so this is the final introduction. And, th- and this morning, in a sense, as Jesus is being fully and completely introduced to us, the hand is extended, the hand of invitation, of preparation, of willingness to step in on all that he has for us. And this morning he is going to, as it were, in introducing himself and his ministry and his teaching, he's going to say, will you... Will you turn and follow me? Will you come with me where I am going, the great king who has finally arrived? And so we're gonna gonna make sense of this final note of introduction for Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew as we examine what it looks like to turn and to follow him, recognizing that as we do, we will spread hope wherever we go. So let's, let's look, starting in verse 12, these final notes of introduction of what does it mean to turn? What does it mean to, to, to move with this king? Starting in verse 12, it says this. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, now let's just let's make this note together that Jesus' ministry from the very first moment had ominous clouds hovering over it. He's taking over for John the Baptist. John the Baptist has baptized him and pointed at him and said, follow him. Here's the one we've been waiting for. And then as Jesus is inaugurating his public ministry, John is arrested. So the ominous clouds of opposition have been present with Jesus from the first moment. From the first moment of his public ministry. It says, John had been arrested. He withdrew into Galilee. Galilee is the northern part of the country. Jerusalem down in the south is the, the center of religious life for the Israelite people. And when John is arrested, Jesus retreats to the northern area, the unpolished area, the unpopular area, the first area that was carried away in exile years ago because they were the first to, to turn away in their hearts from God. Jesus retreats to the, the area of Galilee. And he left Nazareth, this had been his hometown, and he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Now I just want you to pay attention in verse 14. Do you see the first two words in verse 14? It says, so that. The purpose of why Jesus is moving to this territory is to purposefully begin to fulfill prophetic words that were spoken about him for hundreds of years. He's very self-aware in his movements and what he's doing. He is declaring in word and in action, I'm the one you've been waiting for. The, the prophet Isaiah had said, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who are dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Now, if you're familiar with this passage, this is a passage that you may have heard around Christmas time over the years because in the verses that follow this we, we learn that for to them a child is born and a son is given and on his shoulder will be the government and it will increase as he steps into the throne of David and there will be an increase of peace forever that this is a messianic passage in Isaiah 9 that is being quoted about the one who's going to take on the fullness of the government on his shoulders forever and so what we have here is Jesus actively fulfilling what has been named about him. The place where he lives and then what he begins to preach is all saying to the world, the introduction is complete and the king has arrived. Did you hear it? verse 17? What is the word that comes in response to who this king is? He says, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, the first word of Jesus' public proclamation, stepping into preaching, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Another way of saying it is, The king has arrived. Wherever the king is, the kingdom is present, and the kingdom is breaking in because the king is on the move. And he says, This is the first statement, the first command, the first invitation on your life is this turn around. Turn around. The fullness of the introduction of Jesus. The one who is stepping in a ministry with ominous clouds gathering saying the kingdom is arriving. I'm fulfilling the hope of the people for hundreds of years and my first invitation to you, my first command over your heart in your life is this. Whichever direction you've been heading, stop and turn around. The word for repent literally means to turn, to chart out a new path. And Jesus' first word is it is time in a sense he doesn't even pause to say let me have you explain to me where you think you've been headed tell me where you're headed or what you're going and let's see if you're on the right track he says I don't care where you've been headed or where you're going it's time to turn around because there's a new path that no one has seen clearly before the King has arrived I just want us to start together this morning friends brothers sisters with this recognition That the journey with Jesus that we are going on is we're about to start to see him two weeks from now as the great teacher who is telling us how to live fully alive as human beings. The first word is, "Have have you turned and started a new direction? The Christian life is actually told in this way. One tremendous, massive turn that reshapes the whole of your life and then a thousand subsequent small turns that is the story of the Christian life I'm sad this week I actually I asked permission to share Mark Womack's story and he gave me permission and he was really excited for you to hear it and then he got called into work he usually sits in this seat in this service so maybe you see him sometimes he talks back to me which I love he sits right here and he said tell everybody I'm sorry I got called into work unexpectedly but you can still tell my story when I think about turning, I think about one massive turn and a thousand subsequent turns. And when I first met Mark, we had a mutual friend that said, I think, I think my friend could use some help and some hope. And so I went to his apartment and I started to meet with him. And I invited him to read the Gospel of John with me. And the first time we sat down and we were reading the Gospel of John at his kitchen table, we got to John chapter 3. And we read about Nicodemus and the call to be born again. And we were talking about what it means to be born again. And as I was talking, Mark got up and he walked out of his kitchen into his bedroom. And I was sitting there and I was like, well, I don't know, maybe that's the end of the Bible study. I'm not sure. And uh, a couple minutes later, he came in with an armful of books with a black robe draped over him. And he went to the trash can in the kitchen and he threw them all into the trash can. I said, Mark, what is that? And he said, "We." you see I've wanted some sort of power because I've felt powerless in a lot of my life and and I had finally found it in this these are all the books about Satan worship and channeling demonic spirits and he said this black robe this is what I wear when I read these books and I practice what's in them and he said but if what you just read is true I don't want this anymore He said, I want a whole new life because this is dark, and I want light, and I want life. And on that day, there was a massive turn in my friend Mark's life. And maybe you even heard it. If you were here with us last week, we were talking about the temptation of Satan, and he called out from the front row, and he said, yes, he speaks. He speaks, and I don't want to listen to his voice. That's what he said while we were preaching, because Mark knows what it is to turn towards the voice of the king. And another friend that had a very prominent, promising career, strong education, making lots of money. And when he met Jesus, he came to me and he said, I am still have so much ambition, but all of a sudden, it feels different. He said, I've lived with all of this ambition, wanting to accomplish the next thing, and what I'm beginning to realize is what I want more than anything is to live for eternity, whatever that means. It may sound any number of ways but the reality is that if Jesus is the king and the kingdom of heaven is breaking in it doesn't matter what direction we have been moving the first move is to turn it's the stopping to go in a new direction so i just want to ask right off friend have you turned around if Jesus is who he is proclaiming to be heralded for hundreds of years, breaking into history in a way that transforms everything. The first note is that there has to be a turn, whatever direction we've been going. But then interestingly, the story of the Christian life, as as Jesus continues to proclaim, repent, to turn, it's not just one major turn, it's a thousand subsequent small turns. The reality is that he charts out a new path for us. And as we go on that path, we frequently drift this way and this. But by the power of his spirit, he goes, no, no, come back to me. And daily we become a people of repentance that says, I understand what it is to course correct and to turn and say, I'm going to trust and follow his voice first and foremost. If Jesus is going to be rightly introduced in this space, what we have to realize is that the direction and the trajectory and the momentum of our stories will be altered by him. The first word that he speaks as he steps into his preaching ministry is turn around, come in a new direction. And then interestingly, he doesn't stop there as he he presses on beyond the call to turn around... His next word is, follow me. Did you hear it? He spoke it twice. Look back at verses 18 and following with me. It says, um, verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And then going on further, he said... He saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father mending their nets and he called to them and immediately they left their boat, their father and they followed him. You see, Jesus didn't just come to save souls. He didn't just come reorder your religious life. He came to chart out a whole new path and after inviting you to turn around he says and now here's the new course. Follow me with the whole of your life. And when Jesus calls, I just, I just want to make note in the fact that he doesn't just save souls, but he's inviting you to a whole new trajectory. Three notes about the way Jesus calls from, this, from these verses. One, he calls ordinary people. He calls ordinary people. Did you hear it? These are his first draft picks for transforming the world. He is setting out to start a movement under these ominous clouds of opposition. He knows that the world wants to stop him, that the powers that be want to, uh, to inhibit what he is going to do. And he's going, I'm looking for my first draft picks. And he finds two sets of brothers, all four of them are fishermen. Jesus picks ordinary people. If you came in this morning not feeling particularly spectacular or like a standout in any, uh, in any outrageous way, you're You are perfectly positioned to be be used in power by God. Reminds me of a man named Jeremiah Lanfear. I come back to his story every so often because it's one that I love to celebrate. Jeremiah Lanfear, not just because of his name, but because of what he did. He lived in New York City in the 1850s and he was a cloth merchant. A cloth merchant. He sold cloth in New York City in the 1850s. He was a single man, never married, never had kids. He loved God. And in the 1850s, he started to share his faith more regularly. He wanted to tell people about Jesus. And he says he had moderately fruitful and telling everyone and everyone to come to church. But but then out out of conviction, he said, you know what I really need to do is I need to start pleading with God to move. And so he said, I'm going to start at the noon hour at lunchtime. I'm going to start to pray and I'm just going to ask people to pray with me and ask God to move. And so he spread, he, he printed up these little fire flyers and he invited lots of people to come and he sat down at noon on the first prayer meeting and he was the only one there. And so for 30 minutes he prayed and about 30 minutes in at 1230, four other people came and they prayed and he said, hey, I'm going to come back again tomorrow. Maybe you want to come. They came back and they brought some friends and they went and they brought some friends. And what happened from the noon hour prayer meeting by an untrained lay person who sold off was the revival of 1857 and 1858. Within a couple of months, tens of thousands of people were praying at the noon hour, story after story of people walking in and experiencing healing and life. It was because one person heard the call of Jesus and said, I don't totally know what it means, but what I know is that he's charting my path and I'm in. You may feel really ordinary. And the truth is, those are the only sorts of people that God can use. If today you feel really extraordinary and special and then what I can tell you is you can go try to accomplish it by your own power, but what God is looking for is someone that knows they're really ordinary that will just say, "Here's my life." And as they respond to his call, what he says is that I will pour fire on. I will meet you in the midst of. He is inviting you not just to turn, but to follow him. He uses ordinary people. The second note is this. Everything is reordered in light of his call. Look at verse 20 and 22 again. And think about what's happening. In verse 20, do you see this? In verse 20, it says, immediately they left their, what's the word? Nets. Yeah, good. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him verse 22 he calls two other brothers James and John and let's see it says immediately they left what did they leave their boat and their father and they followed him now this is not accidental in Matthew's economy that he's he's slowly unveiling introducing Jesus to the world and he's showing you what does it look like to be called to follow him the first guys they respond to his call and they go okay we're leaving our nets which is a big leave They're leaving the means of their economic support. This is what we do every day. This is what we handle. And they've got some nets and they're willing to leave them. And then just Jesus takes a few more steps and he calls these guys. And they don't just leave their nets. They leave their boats and their father. Do you feel the escalation? The intensity? The first guys had a few nets. The next guy had a fleet of boats and they were in business with their dad. And all of a sudden they're like, all right, we're in. And the realization... As Jesus' word, as his invitation to follow continues to go out, what he's saying is everything in your life will be reconsidered in light of this call. You don't have to be special. You don't have to be a standout. All you have to do is be willing, but recognize that if you're willing, it's going to mean that everything is reordered. I just want to ask a very simple question, and if you're the sort that take notes, I'd invite you to write this down and meditate on, on it later simple what am i holding back what am i holding back this is what the text is pressing on us that if this is the king he's saying would you for a moment would you turn from the direction you've been going consider that it's not about the power or the giftedness of your story but it's your willingness to be available but that means totally available where are you hedging on your finances and your generosity going well I really want it for me my nets my boats he's going what would it look like to pry open your hands and to live in this space this is always the the time of the year when my tax returns come back and in black and white it tells the story of am I serious about this thing and as a as a journey of accountability there are there are men in my life that I sit with and I say does this tell the story of someone that's passionate about another world Like, do my dollars tell a story? Do your relationships tell a story the way that you've renegotiated and thought about how do I interact with family and friends and neighbors in light of the fact that the king has come and he's speaking? He's calling me to something. You see, the invitation is to be laid bare before the king and what he says is turn around and come on a whole new path. It's for ordinary people. It's for ordinary people that will reevaluate everything about their story. And lastly, it's, it's his word that is the power to serve. In verse 20 and 22, did you see the word immediately used twice? Immediately. This is not primarily about the fact that these brothers were so faithful and passionate. This is primarily about the power of the word of the one who's speaking. When the word of Jesus comes to your heart and to your life, all of a sudden we are in this place where we recognize that it's the power of his word that transforms us. I'll just say this. This is why regularly around here we talk about this fact that I hope you see the top of my head regularly. We value the preaching of God's word not because we think Jeremiah or any of the other preachers behind this pulpit have really great opinions because we don't. We think there is power in the word of God to enact change. And so we need, we need preachers with their nose in the Bible where you're looking at the head, at their heads and they're going, look at these words because if these words are true, everything is different. And I need to be the sort of preacher that when I look out, I see the tops of your heads because you're saying, is that really what it says? Because if it does, how can things still be the same? And if we're the sort of community that's looking at each other's top of the heads, we're going to go to some places we never dared imagine. This is the invitation to value his word because it's his word that enacts transformation. Not ours, not our faithfulness, not our boldness, him and if we're hearing from him it will change everything not just hearing from a preacher on sundays but daily unhurried time with the power of his word open before you saying god speak because your word will reorder things you see the word of jesus in His final introduction is turn around follow me and as you do You get to be a part of the team that spreads hope to the world. Did you hear it? After Jesus initiates this, this team, his first draft picks are now on the team and they're moving. Did you see it in verses 23 through 25? Hope and healing erupt. They start to spread out in the world. Look back at 23 through 25 with me. It says this. He went throughout all of Galilee. So he's traveling all over these northern parts, ultimately where people feel like we are away from the centerpiece of God's work in the world. God's work in the world that takes place down in the temple, takes place in the religious centers. But here he is, he's moving through all of Galilee, he's teaching in their synagogues, and he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that the king has come. It says, and he was healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria. Now Syria is even further north from Galilee where he is. So people from this region are now coming in and going back. His fame is spreading that direction as well. And it says they brought with him all of the sick. Those afflicted with various diseases and pains and oppressed by demons. Epileptics and paralytics. And he healed them. And great crowds followed him from all of Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. He's traveling in the north, the people from further north, east, from south, from southwest. He just named the full compass. And he says people are coming from every area because hope is spreading powerfully through Jesus and through his followers. You see... When we turn and we follow Jesus, when we go where he's going, hope and healing begin to ripple out in every direction. There are four verbs that describe Jesus' activity in these verses, and I think they line out for us how we spread hope in in this context. The The first verb that we saw in verse 23 is that he went throughout all of Galilee. We go about, we go throughout interestingly Jesus's work is not primarily taking place in holy spots it's not in the temple and it's not in the synagogue he just met four dudes where they work he showed up at their workplace and he said okay everything's going to be different now the front door of the church is not a Sunday gathering event with a preacher behind a pulpit the front door of the church is your life it's your front yard it's your office. The invitation here, the, fir- the first verb that describes how they begin to spread hope is they went all about, they traveled all about, saying the kingdom is available wherever it is that you are. And then it says that he was teaching. Now there's this interesting note, teaching and preaching. Sometimes we just lump those together. And in many ways, these second two verbs, that they're deeply related, but they're not identical. Teaching means to explain the requirements of God's word on your life. That would be like saying, Jesus says that you have to turn around and you have to follow him. And let me explain to you what that would look like and feel like. That's teaching. And and part of what's required of us as a people is that we are to, the Great Commission says, teach everyone to obey all that Jesus has commanded so we need to know the commands of Jesus and know them so deeply that we're able to explain to those around us what it would look like to fulfill the commandments of Jesus this is what it means to be a disciple in the world we teach we can explain so friend If you are in with Jesus, my question to you is this. If someone were to sit with you across coffee and ask hard questions about, well, what does this mean? And how would I follow Jesus in this way? Our aim, not that we arrive there immediately, but our aim is to grow to the place by cherishing his word that we get to the spot where we can explain to others the requirements of God's word on our life. But then interestingly, it's not just teaching, it's preaching. It says that he preached as well. And preaching is an announcement. It's not an explanation. Preaching is the announcement that God has empowered you to fulfill all that I just taught you. I hope that every Sunday you feel this dynamic from this pulpit, that you get taught about what it is that God is calling me to do, even to the point where sometimes you will feel like, ooh, that feels heavy. To follow him and to renegotiate every relationship and every dollar that I've been entrusted because he's the king of my life. Yes, that's his call on your life. That's what it means to teach. What does it mean to preach? By the way, he has given you everything that you need and the completed work of his son and the presence of his Holy Spirit to fulfill what he just called you to. That is the announcement that he has accomplished something in Jesus that you were never going to be able to accomplish on your own. We need to be the sort of people that go about teaching and preaching, calling people to follow God and then helping them to realize that in Jesus, it's actually possible. By his grace, we can do it. And then lastly, it says over and over that he was healing. Did you see that? This list of all the sorts of things that he was healing. He was healing the sick, their diseases and their pains and demons and epileptics and paralytics. He healed them. What we need to realize is that Jesus offers healing in the fullness, that he touches the whole person in the sense that he's not just saying experience me spiritually, but experience me in the whole of your life. So, so just a, a brief note, Jesus can heal. And we're the sort of people we are actually commanded in the New Testament that if you're sick, come to the elders and let them anoint you with oil and pray for healing. And we do that sort of thing around here because we actually believe God's word. So we believe God can and does heal. I also think it's important to note that this is one of the places where the the kingdom breaks in and it is oftentimes non-Christians that are being healed so that they taste the kingdom and trust Jesus for their actual full healing. So God can and does heal but ultimately the great healing that he's offering, the hope and healing that he's offering goes even beyond the physical. It is the physical but it's so much deeper and truer than the physical in such a way that those who've trusted in Jesus and experienced his healing realize I am healed forever, even though something eventually is going to kill me. He is offering them hope and healing in the truest sense. And it says the crowds flocked because don't the crowds need hope and healing? Well, as we come to the conclusion, I just want you to consider this reality that here's Jesus saying, turn and follow me. And we will spread hope to the world as we do. And the crowds begin to flock. And it's these very crowds that flock, having been healed. These are the same sort of crowds that on Palm Sunday, the particular Sunday that we're remembering even this week, as next week we look forward to celebrating Easter, it was on Palm Sunday where the very crowds that had been healed by Jesus, who had experienced his touch physically, they welcomed him as Savior. But then a few days later, they were calling crucify that Jesus and saying, follow me. We know where his path leads. His path leads unexpectedly to his own death and demise. Because as Jesus is saying, follow me, he's saying, follow me in submitting to the voice of my Father in heaven whose aim for you is not just that your diseases be healed, but your eternal ailment, your separation from God and your sin be addressed. And I'm going to do that by the power of my own blood and death. I'm a king like no other. And as I am raised up on a cross with a crown of thorns, what you are going to see is a king who came not to wield his power for his own good, but for yours. A king that's worth following because he always loves and serves those in his care. And not only did he die to pay the price for our sins, but then he buried the punishment and he came back to life saying, there is healing in my wings, the sort of healing that secures you eternally. Friends, the King has come. We have, over the last several weeks in the book of Matthew, seen the fullness of his introduction. And we're going to begin to prioritize his teaching together as we submit to him under his feet, as we listen for his voice and receive it authoritatively over us as a community. But if we are going to be prepared for that sort of experience, this is the call on your life today. Turn around. Follow him. And as you allow him to chart out the fullness of your course, what you will find is that you and I get to spread hope in this city in a way that abounds. We want to be those sorts of people who herald that sort of king for his glory, for our joy. Let's be those people. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, we we were harassed Helpless, lost, without hope in the world. This is what it means to be human beings riddled with sin, separated from the source of life and joy and hope, which is the creator God who beckons to us. This was our plight, every one of us thank you that you and your great mercy and abounding steadfast love you came in the person and the work of jesus to break in thank you that the prophecies of isaiah were fulfilled in jesus and that jesus on your shoulders will be the government that lasts forever peace that will endure i pray that we would have ears to hear Oh God, if there's anyone here that is yet to trust in Jesus, I pray that even now, by the power of your Spirit, you would help them to turn towards you. To recognize the, the desperation of any path that is not Jesus' path. And I pray that we would be a people that in turning say, you can have it all. You can have it all. We, re, we re-navigate everything in light of your calling. So God, I pray that hope, healing would abound and spread forth from this body as we turn and follow you wherever you lead. We bless you, we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.